Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm Alan. And Brent's not here. I decided, as threatened previously on a podcast, that if Brent wasn't here on time, I would just start without him and you could hear just how bad a solo podcast can be. Got a couple of good topics lined up today. None of them have any, anything to do with sports, nor politics, nor the weather, I don't think. All I want to say, because COVID is not a political thing, despite the fact that far too many people see it as such. You know, my preference is that everyone gets vaccinated. I know there are some people that don't want to for various reasons. What I do ask is that for everyone, look past the misinformation that's out there, find out what's right for you, but please be careful and realize that this is a real thing and that it does get people sick and just do your best to be careful. Put some effort into being careful to make sure you're not being part of the spread of this. And then maybe someday that light at the end of the tunnel will begin to come back into view again. All right. Well, let's get on. Now, Brent's going to get on here. and He's going to go blah, blah, blah and talk about stuff. I'm going to make fun of him a little bit. And then we get going with the podcast. But I do have somewhere an agenda for today. And I may as well start without him. And we'll catch him up when he gets here. The first thing is, I think it was the last podcast, or within the last few, we talked about the... Oh, it wasn't the last one for sure. Oh, hey, Brent's here! Brent, I've already pressed record. I started the podcast without you. Welcome to the welcome to the AB Testing Podcast, Brent. Thank you, Alan. I thought maybe we could do just one more without you. Uh, this is... Oh, that, anyway, um, let's pause. I, I can go right back into where I was, because Brent knows my agenda. How's it going? I will survive. I will survive. Uh, things are afoot uh, that will have a negative impact on my life that I am not quite ready to share publicly on the podcast. Un- understood. Understood. As much as we do leave a lot of things out there, Brett and I both leave a few things to our private lives. So I get that. We can chat about that a little at the end if we have time. Uh, so, yeah, that sucks. Um I already talked about COVID. You missed that. Oh, did you? Yeah. Any? I, I'm not going to add anything else. Do you have any short statements you want to make about the current surge in Delta variants, et cetera? No. The the, right. Good the, the Delta the Delta variant surge concerns me far less than what's happening with Afghanistan. I I think it wise for us to just skip over the political yep, segment. It is. Of- it is. It is. <laughs> I will just say this. I'll just say, I won't mention anything specifically and we'll move on. Between everything going on, sometimes even optimistic Alan has to wonder if the end of the world is coming. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's talk about stuff about the podcast. Uh, we have a podcast. And uh, what's interesting about this podcast is called Modern Testing. Uh, Brent and I are two old people, so we're not that modern. And we don't really talk about testing very much, but we do and we will today. Uh, We talk about a lot about Agile and Agile flavors. And we talk a lot about how to improve quality. In fact, I would say I can safely say that Brent and I care deeply about quality, but not so much about testing. No, 
No, testing, I, I don't understand why we would talk so much about testing since it is clearly Dev's job. All right. Uh, you're going to have to stop chewing and banging on your desk. Just saying that, but you're right. Oh, and oh. I, I want to read. Now, are you through with Chatham House rules? I am not. This- so this is, so another Slack I'm on says, and I'm going to break, I'm going to try not to break a rule by paraphrasing. See if I can find the channel here. Someone was asking about QA teams. I'm not going to mention the Slack or the people, and I'm going to paraphrase. I think I'm I think I'm going to be okay here then, because I'm not outing anybody. But someone was asking about how QA works at different orgs. This is a uh, cross-company industry Slack. That's as far as I'll go. And what's interesting is all of the replies in this thread saying we don't have QA, but we do lots of testing. These people, okay. these, and the thing is, with modern testing, we're describing what's already happening in the world. These people haven't been indoctrinated by modern testing. They're doing this because it's the right thing to do. Response to that is same here. No dedicated QA. Teams own entire services, also own the testing of that service. Someone else says, for what it's worth, for us, it's similar to what they said. The function of QA is owned by engineering. There is no dedicated QA team. Three people, three different companies. Somebody else says, QA is a skill set present on every team where I work. Someone says, QA? What's QA? (laughs) And then in parentheses, it says, engineers write automated tests and do manual regression testing. And it goes on and on and on. It's a long thread. And there's good discussion on it, too. I don't want to go into that. But this is something, this is a thread like you'd expect to see on one of the three.slack.com. Plug. Uh, you right. can go to moderntesting.org and join that. But to see this pop up, the thing we're talking about with modern testing, it's happening freaking everywhere. And a lot of people are just blind to it. And it bugs me. So here is my question to, and I'm, I think I've asked this before to our listeners. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. I don't really know who would, but you're cool and I like you and I appreciate you listening because it just blows me away that about a thousand of you a month listen every month and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this again in two more weeks. But yeah, I, I feel like there's a chunk and maybe it's the title of the podcast, which you're not going to change, but I feel like there's a chunk of people who would benefit from this podcast, a big chunk that we're not reaching and I don't know how to reach them. Actually, I do have some ideas, but I'm going to pause there. How do we reach... I, First, you agree with me. Is there a chunk of people that we're not reaching that would find this beneficial? And then part two, if so, what are some ways you can think of that we should reach those folks? So there absolutely is a chunk, right? All you have to, all you have to do to prove that, uh, and you in particular can do this. I'm not certain I can, but you in particular could. All you have to do is go to Twitter and just, just copy paste one of the principles, in particular, like principle five, like even today, uh, maybe that could be a heuristic when Alan uh, quarterly will, will copy paste principle five into his Twitter feed. And then we just count how many hate responses Alan gets and, and see if that starts to temper down. You know, I should do that. I should just post a principle a week and I should probably do some more conferences, but not test conferences and talk about the podcast there. I never really fully made that transition. I was kind of in the process of it and then then COVID. So that's something else I, could, I should really, I'm going to actually put that into my to-do list here. Oh, to, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of actual dev or DevOps conference, and I may have to start over. Like I've, I got so lazy with test conferences. I get 
at least a request a week to speak at some test conference. I say no to almost all of them, but it's easy. I go, oh, that one's cool. Or I like that, you know, Ministry of Testing looking at you. I like you. I'll always, when you ask, I'll always do it. Right. Honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit in the echo chamber there. And I probably just need, especially now things are remote. I don't have to travel. Uh, I should probably just up, actually go through the old school process of applying to speak at some dev conferences and just talk about quality cultures, whatever. I probably a lot of things I could talk about, but we yeah, weave in some modern testing, A-B testing stuff. I'm actually wondering, like based on what you just said, I'm wondering if that's even needed, right? Because if you talk about dev co- things, so like with the stats that you just shared, uh, I mean, it's not really stats. It's it's sort of a small sample set. Essentially, uh, the universe is moving on in the direction that we've been talking about for who knows how many friggin' years now. It might already be past the tipping point, right? It, we've had conversations. We have we've had conversations around how big is the bubble we're in, right? And and now I'm actually wondering. Okay, are 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 we actually in the bubble or, or, or do we just think we're in the bubble? Cause we have, we're bumping up against the bubble, but are we the ones that are, are in it? Or is it, is it the traditionalists that are now in the bubble and that bubble shrinking? Cause as like, I'm seeing over and over again, that the world is in fact not functioning the way it did 20 years ago. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Not at all. This actually segues really well into the first topic. Uh, how long have we been talking about this? Well, we didn't know what modern testing was. We weren't sure exactly what we were going to talk about when the podcast formed. But very early on, like in the first few episodes, we began talking about the ways which this works. We explored it. We talked about it as I was learning sort of how to make that transition myself. But then five years ago, which I got a note in Twitter that five years ago, someone asked me about what I thought the future of test was. They actually asked about 10 people what they thought the future of test was. And because COVID has blurred it, I thought, blurred time, I thought, well, five years ago, geez, what was I, was that Xbox? When was that? And no, five years ago was towards the end of my time at Microsoft. I've been at Unity now about four and a half years, actually a little bit more. But they asked me five years ago, what was the question? The question I was asked five years ago was blah, 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 preface, preface. What will software development look like in one, three or five years? How will that impact testing approaches? I guess I chose five and I'll skip all the other people, but my answer is actually in hindsight is contradictory because I said, at first I said (laughs) nothing super different I expect that more companies, even those not shipping weekly or more often, will still move toward more agile-ish engineering approaches, smaller iterations, smaller batches, build, measure, learn. Data collection and analysis will also continue to grow in importance and use. I think I wrote that from a little bit of a bubble because those things have definitely taken off. And maybe I assumed there was more of those around than I thought from a Microsoft bubble. But outside, definitely see more of that stuff. Uh, Also said, to me, it means more teams forget about what to call people. Integrated or unified engineering teams become more of the norm and dedicated test teams become rarer and rarer. I think I nailed that one. The good testers will do fine on those teams, as I expect, as more teams move in this direction. They recognize the need for a quality specialist among an engineering team. So uh, I feel like we're seeing more and more of that. This idea of a test coach 
which I had been doing for a while at that time, is almost mainstream. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know if that any of that changes testing approaches. And even five years ago, I said software developers are certainly capable of writing good unit, functional, integration tests, and more. And they'll be doing a lot more of this. And if you recall a few months ago when I wrote an article talking about how they could do this, the hate I took about, well, our developers don't want to do that and I'm better at it, so I should do it anyway, et cetera, et cetera. But all this stuff is happening and I think it was it was pretty much, I, I didn't take a risk in the prediction. I don't think you I did. Still, I, I didn't. I didn't take a risk at all. I, all these things I think were pretty well predictable. And in hindsight, I'm a little surprised we haven't moved even farther I think sometimes we think five years is a long, long time for big changes to happen across the industry, but they just don't go like that. So we could, I could be well, well into retirement and sipping a senior special Mai Tai at a beach somewhere watching the planet burn and (laughs) there will still be somebody spinning up a test automation team totally disconnected from the dev team so they can do their automated freaking checking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah actually i'm looking at the website i do think your predictions are spot on i noticed that other people in here like jerry weinberg's in here oh, i miss jerry i do too uh, i don't want to i'm trying to scan it and it's not well, easy and, for me to parse for, for the listeners because i probably forget to put a link in the show notes because i'm freaking lazy my five for Friday today does include a link to this. So you can check it out there. And then Merritt had a really good follow-up approach. Merritt, who was on episode, I'm going to guess 128, somewhere last year, wrote a blog post about following up on her predictions. And, and you know, I feel a little, I, I have to say it, when someone whose English is a second language, and Merritt is a self-professed polyglot, she, she speaks and writes several languages, she writes better than I do as a native English speaker, and it's just... I don't say intimidate. I'm not sure what the word is, how I feel about that, but it's, I feel impressive definitely impressive and awesome. And I feel a little like, why can't I be a better writer? But she's very prolific too. And she practices, but she's really good. I, I read all of her blog articles and this one particularly good. So unplanned plug go merit. Yeah. I'm looking like it's interesting. I'd like to see her follow up. Um, yeah, it's also in my you, also in my five for Friday link, so you can check that out. And then uh, Bach is in here as well. Yep, everybody has lo- lots of. I, I love it. Like, got lots of opinions, but worth talking about today. I wanted to bring that up. What happens in the next five years? What do you think? Is it just more of the same? What's something? I'm going to ask you this on the spot. What's something that's going to happen in the next couple of years? You don't have to time bound it. That people may find surprising what's something that you think may happen in the next couple of years one to three to five years that maybe a lot of people aren't expecting yeah you know what this i am suffering a a flashback because i feel like we've done this on the podcast well before. we do like, our we do our prediction episode no every... I, i'm like i i'm actually seriously thinking are we now on the on the the path to, to start developing the postmodern testing principle. No, no, I think next five years, I, I, I definitely see momentum continuing in this direction because I, I do think, I do think, what is the, there was this one book that Al Shalloway talked to me about 
Right. Uh, but it's essentially we're now talking about things that are mainstream, not we're not on the leading edge with M- MTP. Not at all. When we started talking about this, we were we were kind of more on the leading edge because we Maybe. were observing. And when I first talked about it at Test Bash a couple of years ago, when we first had the public talk about it, uh, I actually used I used the what's the curve that yeah, was in crossing the, the chasm. Of. The, right. the the pace of innovation curve, which is actually from somebody else's work. But anyway, I showed that modern testing was out towards the front, but it's not. It's not totally mainstream, but it's definitely to the big part of the curve. It's not right. a bizarre idea. There's too many people. There's too many people doing things we describe as modern testing without even knowing what the hell modern testing is. And that's fine. It, well, it's absolutely fine. Uh, and what I'm saying is, is it's far more mainstream today than it was when we started working Absolutely. on what are the principles right and, and that goes back to the conversation i just reading from another slack where oh yeah devs owning this stuff and understanding they can and teams being data driven and shipping in small chunks to get feedback from customers all that stuff is happening yeah so the thing is like in the context of testing or in automated checking i as you already covered i don't know what's happening on the front the front lines of that, I'm sure things are. Uh, but in terms of testing or checking, uh, honestly, I don't care. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's so far outside. I don't want to get into that stuff. I've kind right. of decided that with with checking versus testing, with if you find value in it, what the, what the heck? Go go ahead. I've, I I don't. But that's me. You be you. No, but in terms of in in terms of the question you asked, like yeah. the prediction, I mean, maybe you have a better one. Yeah, well, nobody's what, what I'm basically saying is I don't think I'm currently in a position where I would be able to actually sort of say, put my finger in the air and say, what's coming next as it relates to testing. Right. Oh, yeah. As it relates to quality. Yeah, let's 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 have that discussion. But as it relates to testing, I don't have that visibility. Uh it's 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 out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where where we came from before, it was still very much in both of our lives. And we, we had seen much better techniques and, and and actually even experienced them and rolled them out. We were definitely coming from a point of experience when we developed the, the MTP. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're talking about what's going on. So I'm going to p- pause you there because everything is segueing so well, and I want to jump in at the segue point. Okay. And, and you don't know how these things segue. I, I send because um, there was a time when Brent and I would both contribute to a bulleted list. We prioritize, but Brent now phones in the podcast and I send him a list and tell him what we're talking about in advance. But going from <laughs> there, uh, I've been listening to um, the testing peers podcast and you should check it out. It's they get three or four people to talk about, have a nice conversation about different things around testing. I like it. There was the one before last, they actually brought up principle number five and they didn't poo-poo it they said they said oh yeah that that makes sense it it fit in with their thoughts that ultimately the customer the customer determines what quality is which goes back to something i wrote in an article which i think is worth again i just gotta tweet these little sound bites more often to get people thinking about what we do here with modern testing but the point i brought up in that article and i'm all over the place gotta loop it all in and meanwhile my dog decides she wants to play just brought her toy so she could play while i talk that's gonna be fun Somebody in that podcast, this last one, 
said, made the statement, they're talking about quality. They said, well, at least nobody brought up that quality is conformance to requirements. Actually, I believe that quality is conformance to requirements, but only the customer can define those requirements, not some PM somewhere. Right. And if you put that twist on it, all of a sudden, yeah, Crosby's right. Quality is conformance to requirements. So, ha. Anyway, they that was the one about quality. This last one, they did a cool thing. I don't want to steal their bit entire, like as an ongoing thing, but I'm going to steal it today. I'm going to tell you what they did. Talk about one of the conversations they had, and then we're going to do it ourselves. You have no idea what any, any of that means. I'm going to walk you through it. It's kind of like when you're playing one of those complicated games for the first time. You have no idea what to do. So uh, let me talk about Test Sphere. Have you seen Test Sphere cards? No. These are from Ministry of Testing. They're super freaking cool. And what they are is a bunch of cards and different kinds of topics. And I just have the standard set here. And it, they're just discussion starters around quality and testing. I can't find the exact card. I may not have it. They have like a, because they're all cool. They have like a bonus deck full of stuff. But what they did is they kind of spun a wheel. Or they, they chose random cards to talk about. It was pretty cool. But one thing they talked about. And I, I know we've talked about this a long time in the past, but it's something that I'm, you know, serendipitously or coincidentally, I'm not even sure what the difference is. It's come up with me a couple times recently is they were talking about something about you create a regression test for a bug that was found three years later, you're still running that regression test because once we, especially with automated tests, once we write them, they run forever. These tests never, the, the situation where that regression test, you wrote that, that test for a bug that was in the product, it's impossible for it to happen again. You can't actually make that bug happen again because it has something to do with like a particular version of Chrome that's three years old or whatever. And that regression test remains even though it provides no value. It can never actually find another bug. Some of those my words. One thing they didn't get to, they talked about, they had a lot of things to talk about, but one thing that doesn't get talked about enough in the industry is because I've, I've I've been in, I've listened in on two or three of these things via Twitter, LinkedIn, and this podcast is the idea of test selection. This idea of specifically choosing certain tests to run in a certain situation, and thus choosing other tests not to run. And I wonder if, well, one with developers writing the bulk or most or all of these tests, do you think they'll fall into that same trap of running every regression test and every release? Will they be quicker to retire tests or, or will they do what I think you and I have both done in the past and write a smart test selection engine to make sure they're selecting the proper tests for whatever they're changing? I think none of the above. Oh, better. What, what happens? I think by the time that that becomes problematic, right? The, the thing that's happened, what were the friends that we just talked to rocket? I think. That, that company. I think by the time that matters, actually the tooling will improve to automatically do that. It'll become part of the tool, right? So the one benefit that, that, the, industry, that the industry has, in my view, around test, that the, the testing responsibility primarily be sh being shouldered by developer is, as, as I actually said in that podcast, uh, developers are inherently lazy, and of course, with 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 the the advent of cloud, like one of the reasons that that we had we had to do this test selection thing is because, uh, like our our code, 
depending on which team was doing it, right? It, it had varying degrees of being able to parallelize. Everyone had, like back in the day, everyone had labs and, and those labs were of limited resources. So we had to go to we ended up being forced to go to test selection because we our test pass had to complete by this date. We now had too many tests to run them all. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, in with the cloud, the story is going to get changed. We're not going to hit the issue of having too few resources to run it because the, the cloud offers sort of unlimited capacity. Well, I mean, you still pay for that. You're still That's what I was going to get to. Commute, I, I, compute. I, I, you, you pay for both commute and compute. That's where I was getting to. Like it becomes a new constraint and it's going to be, it's the cost. So now actually test selection says, turns into more of an ROI statement. Okay. Given the cost of this test, what's the predicted value of the, of the result of the test? Cost is readily computable today. It's the the relative value of that that needs to be operationalized. And that to me is just a matter of time. My brain was spinning from the beginning when you said the tools were going to get there because I'm tempted to quit my job today. I could, I I have done so much with test selection and I am so confident I could write a generic thing that people could use to plug in and select tests based on. I mean, I just want to make my startup right now and make a test selection tool for the industry. Oh, do do you want to stop talking about it so that? No, I'm good. Um, I'm good. I'm probably that's not really going to happen because I'm I'm far too lazy to do that. I like the day to day challenges of of working at my current job. But honestly, if you know that that's a there's a business there, and I am happy to be. I'm on the advisory board for one uh, test automation company, and so if you want to spin this up, put me on your board, and I'll just take some stock for me to help you make your billion dollar test selection business, give me a ping because I I know I've done this multiple times. I know how to do it. I think I could make, we could make it in a way that could be applied at multiple companies. Um, but yeah, I'm available. Uh, but d- definitely on a, on a board consulting type uh, position more than quitting my day job because I like getting a, I like getting a twice a month paycheck. So, yeah. Yeah. But, but again, if you just have to share ideas and, you know, free money of any sort rolls in, you know, net positive. Yes. So what's interesting in the modern, so that was listening and talk about it. It was cool. Cause that came up. They never talked about test selection and I don't hear people talk about it enough. So they just wanted to plant that seed for all three of the listeners. So uh, thanks for that. But it made me think it might be fun today to for me to randomly pick some of these cards here uh, because what I found was this is not just like oh I want to copy them what I found was for every question they asked they were answering it like a I don't want to say a traditional tester but more like you'd expect a tester to answer it and not the way you and I would answer it oh picking up what I'm laying down yeah so I, it, this is not quite traditional. I mean, we could do this and we could do the traditional manager versus agile manager, but we're not going to do that or modern, modern test manager. I do want to pick a couple of random cards and I'll, and I'll actually random within a, a subset. So there's some blue cards, which are quality aspects. There's green cards, which are techniques. I'll probably do one of a couple of these, see if we can do it. I grabbed a quality aspects card, which is blue. And what, what they do is they have a, a statement at the top and then some supporting statements below. 
And we'll just kind of see where this takes us. And if it's dumb, we'll talk about something else. This one is the usability aspect. Will users find the product convenient and easy to work with? But more important, will they enjoy it? Hey, I picked a principle five call card. And the state supporting statements below are what makes an app attractive? Speed, ease of use, reliability, question mark. Are the most important features available in the middle of your screen? Have your app eye track tested and find out people easily find what they're looking for. Some things are intrusive, yet people love them. For example, the Groupon Space Cat logo. I haven't seen it. This makes your app unique, identifiable, memorable. So I'm going to go back to the top and have you answer this from a Eric Reese modern testing point of view. Okay. How do you know if users are finding the product convenient and easy to work with? Well, my 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 fifty thousand level answer is that they are the they are showing that they are solving the problem uh, that they're solving problems with it. With a UI app, I think the way I would look at it is is from a KPI standpoint, and I would look at uh, what's called the Dow Mao. Uh, uh, equation is basically: Am I seeing, am I seeing repeat visits from the same customer? Am I, am I, am I observing that there is stickiness with, uh, with the customer? Yeah. In general. So, in short, data. So let's talk about that. This is where we differ. Well, like this is where it, this is. I different. think my answer is going to be data on every let's, one of these. Let's questions. talk. Let's talk about how we'd use data here because <laughs> this middle statement says, "Are the most important features available in the middle of your screen?" Well, it isn't for the tester to decide what those most important features are. Right. You can you can gather that from data. Are the things people using the most most easily accessible? Are how how difficult are some of the things that uh, they're using a lot to find. Well, and even then, uh, there is there is a concept that's coming up in the data science space that, that's that for me been coming up more and more. Right? How do you define most the you that users most? Because here's here's one thing I'll, I'll call out that a lot of at the, when you start doing basic sort of data analysis, it's very attractive to go after and target the average. Okay, but here's the deal, and there's multiple stories on, on this that I could share. But there's actually no one that is that fits into the average persona. Aha, uh-huh. you're right. Nobody, no pilot is the av- actually the average height for a pilot. Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a recent story that on, on that same topic where back in World War something, where they designed the cockpits. And they designed the cockpits for the average uh, pilot, right? They, they measured height, they measured weight, they measured chest size, et cetera, okay? And, of course, no one actually fit in the plane. And in hindsight 2020, they looked at, and that was one of the main causes for why there were accidents in the plane. Uh, because the pilots themselves, like literally no one fit. Correct. When you look at humans, right? There's a certain studies where you'll like the average human is going to have half of their body parts be male and the other half of their body parts be female. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it turns out there's no actual human that fulfills that criteria. That's one of the problems with averages. And, and when, when you try to, I would, I would restate the statement like, is what each individual to what degree are each 
individual customer finding their needs and finding that the UI is where they expect those things to be, right? And some places, it, and sometimes it may not actually be, um, like for example, in, in the Azure portal, we will we have actually multiple entry points into certain aspects mm-hmm. uh, that we know are popular because we we want we don't want to have to try to train the customer on where to find how we hard coded it. We want to shortcut to okay, what are their needs here? Here, this is how you get to it. Yeah, I I think right? um, the important thing here is for that question is. And I've actually looked through a couple of these while you've been talking, and they're all going to end up in data. So I may not go through many more unless I find a good one. Mm. But a lot of testers think like we have to act like the customer. We'll use personas, and you can't. You're not the customer. That's what principle five is about. You have to use data. And I haven't. And I have to tell you, I haven't used an Office app in four years. But I assume Office still has the ribbon. Yeah. Okay, so when the ribbon came out, it pissed a lot of people off and a lot of people liked it. It was a good, often when you innovate, uh, you can tell you're innovating when half the people love it and half people hate it. You get a polarized uh, response. But the reason they did that, and I heard all kinds of theories. I was at a conference once and somebody told me they had some wild conspiracy story on why the ribbon was the way the ribbon was. And it was I was a little shocked that someone could have that imagination but the reason the ribbon existed and they came out with it was a whole bunch of customers were requesting features that already existed in office apps they just couldn't find them and the ribbon was about trying to make sure that every feature was two clicks away or three clicks away and taking those most important features and putting them one click away, the next level down, two clicks away, just making it easier. And if you have been using Office for a long time, you'll remember their attempt before was to do this thing where they'd hide menu items. Do you remember this? They would hide the menu items that you hadn't used recently. So you go to look, for, and it was that was more confusing. That was a horrible solution for that customer problem. But they're able to discover that through data. And lots of feedback that that wasn't working. They thought, okay, we'll limit your view to the stuff you use, but there's, it was, there was a pain in the butt for those things you only use once in a while, like mail merge. You have to go dig around and remember which menu it was in to find it. It was just ridiculous. So all that's data driven, you know, love or hate office. I, I haven't used it because I haven't needed it. Although honestly, as a tangent, if I had a windows machine, I would have Excel, just so I could run Power BI. But other than that, oh. but I don't, so I don't, and it's all right. Um, anyway, yeah, all, I think all based on data, data to understand what challenges the customers are having. How are they using the product? Right. I grabbed a, a card from the the green, which are techniques, but the first one I grabbed I is very similar to the test selection one. It's a different car, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. And then I'll grab an, maybe I'll grab another, I'm not sure. It's on the sampling technique. When faced with unlimited possibilities, testers select the most likely options, the one most prone to risks. Okay, so we... Wait, what? When faced with unlimited possibilities, testers select the most likely options the ones most prone to risks this is saying wait wait is that a, is there a comma in there or are no, they saying I, that I had to add, I had to add commas to make it make sense i will read it as written 
When faced with unlimited possibilities, testers select the most likely options, the ones most prone to risks. What they're saying is we do risk-based We The number of ways I could test something is indeed in basically infinite. Uh, right. But we do risk-based testing. Okay. I, I'm then, just trying to think through right. what, what, what they mean you, by the let, most likely. Let me give you the supporting statements. All testing is sampling. We can't run all tests. They say checks. I'm going to say tests. So we settle for a subset. Being honest about this, keep this in mind is what keeps us humble. Yes, of course. Risk-based testing means you can't test everything. Uh, choosing which set you will test is very important. So this is all, they call this sampling technique, but really it's risk-based testing. Uh, and the last one is, I'm not going to read that whole second one. Let's test more different variations of ordering English language books as 99% of our business is in that module. So actually like this one at the end, because I'm going to assume that's based on data. And yeah, you can use all kinds of demographic data to figure out how much time you're going to spend testing. If you have a feature of your application that is a very small subset of your customers find useful, you can spend less time both adding new features to that section or testing that section for the product. But I'm not sure what else to add to that one other than, I don't know, any comments on that one before I grab one from... Uh, the, the most, the most likely the ones, wait, what was the last statement? The something around most likely the oh, what, what they're saying is this one isn't super well written, but, but what they're basically saying is because 99% of our business is in ordering English language books, let's weight our testing in that area. Oh, Okay. Yeah, to me, that makes sense. So if, if you have a limited test selection, you're going to want to prioritize the way I always phrase it. Is you're going to want to prioritize the tests that's kind of going to okay. going to have the biggest oh shit factor we're, if they fail. We're going to do a lightning round. All right. I'm going to read go. you a heuristic and you're going to say, tell me whether you can solve that problem with data or not data. So the game is data, not data. I just made okay. this up. All right. All right. Data. <laughs> yes all right okay. what's the next question data a, a product that is hard to explain might be too hard for a user to understand data we all have expectations of the world around us our app should be no exception i can't parse that one okay fine uh, i'll just default to data there is much <laughs> to learn from earlier versions what do they tell you about risk and failure Oh, data. Is your product true to the image and reputation you or the app's company wishes to project? Uh, I'm going to say mix on that one. Okay. Are yeah. your competitors doing things different, maybe even in a better way? Uh, data, if you have it, that's going to be another mix. I'm, 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 I'm uh, creating a third choice. Okay. <laughs> What's the third choice? Mix? Yeah. Data, no data, mix. Okay. So I'm... I'm basically viewing it now as quantitative, qualitative, or both. All right. Can your product live up to the hype? That's got to be both. Okay. What are the user's desires and does the product live up to them? That's both. Does the product solve a problem? Will it fulfill its ultimate mission? Data. Your app will have to adhere to standards, norms, regulations, or the law. Um, that for sure is both. Yep. What can you learn from a workflow by executing it in opposite order or a different order? I, I can't parse that I one. I think that's data. What they want to know is, is if someone goes off the happy path, will they still be successful? 
Yeah, the way I interpret workflow is like a sequence of steps and how do you execute it in reverse order, right? It's a sequence. How does your app handle zeros and negatives? Okay, I'm inventing a fourth option. All right, man. Don't care. Don't care. Great. <laughs> Dev's job. See, I, I think I think we have another one for category four. Blank fields, okay. too many records, or exactly one input can lead to horrible errors. Yeah, Dev. When we look at, um, I'm going to do, there's four more of these I'll do for heuristics and we'll stop. But, All right. But I'll pause there because when we, one thing we can look at, which should exist, is error rates. What errors are customers seeing? Yes. How many are they seeing? Uh, it's, it's and a why? great denominator. So you say, you might see, oh, we had 10,000 users last month and a thousand of them encountered errors and a hundred of them encountered more than 20 errors per session. Yep. We can go look at that and figure out what to do. What is wrong with these people? And they all live in Texas or something and, and DeSantis shut off their internet. Who knows? Uh, but we can... If we have those errors, we can dig in and debug. And I've talked about this before, but worth a pause here before we finish this up is I love to debug from data. I like to look at an anomaly and then dig in and figure out why, what's unique about this anomaly? What's going on here? Why did this customer get this error? Oh, that is absolutely my favorite thing to do. Uh, and uh, I, I, just to be clear, I don't think Brent's being sarcastic. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> and I was going to tell you why, because once I find the answer to that question and then I can generalize it to, OK, how well does this broaden in terms of impact? I will say 50 percent of the time it allows me to to do my even more favorite thing to do. And that is go to the executives and inform them that their business is not operating the way they think it is. Yeah, but right. You know I even did that. That's, that's on big scale. But I remember even on, we had so much data on, even on the Xbox console that we would hear customers having an error with something. So we go look in the data and find out who was having that error. Then we check on all the different things about them and slowly like what's in common. It's just like debugging with the debugger, but we're just kind of going through, we're doing SQL queries instead of debugger commands. And in the end, you find out if they're on a certain version of the console and they have this game installed and they have more than two controllers set up, they get this error. Yeah. Love and that. As I, so much fun. There is. So I think I may have uh, shared with them the podcast that one of one of my team's key missions is around, uh, we call it support, supportability. Okay. Yep. Um, one of the KPIs that manages sort of success and supportability is self-help solution. Okay. And that's to the degree do we publish documentation and bring that documentation to the customer on their ability to, to understand the document and actually solve it themselves? Like they don't actually need to engage support. Okay. Um, actually, it's funny that you brought the errors thing up because uh, literally just this week, I was in a meeting on a very similar context and the, the KPI uh, just, it's very simply measured. Like the numerator is the number of people that that deflected uh, a case that we deflected them from entering a case. That's the numerator, and then the denominator is the uh, the number of people that went into that that particular problem space that that were deflection opportunities. And one of the things 
I, I stated for the first time actually this week that was controversial uh, because everybody everybody is focused on the numerator. The numerator. How do we get that numerator to 100%? How do we deflect all of these things? And I said, yeah, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm actually no longer interested in the numerator. I care about the denominator. I want to drive that to zero. How do I get the customers no longer having problems in this space? Because if I get them to know how no longer having problems, then I don't care if we even have documentation, right? They don't need to go and click it. How do we improve our platform to be smarter to actually solve it in the first place? Yep. I, I use the left shift language. Like our goal is to bring solutions to the customers. It, it's the absolute most tragic of a fail. If a customer does go through through support and walks away feeling like they did not get a solution. But we've been, um, a lot of companies and Microsoft included has sort of been op- optimizing for a safety net around, around the support staff. Um, but that's expensive and that's manually driven. And, and it, it at some point in time, it fails to scale. Yeah, if, you, if your customer has to call support, you're losing money. In our case, not so much. All right. Well, in not general, so I would say that's yeah. true. Yeah. In general, I would say that's potentially true. Like with Microsoft right now for 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 the majority of our support topic or support plans, these are add-ons that, that customers actually need to buy. And so people who are, who are going in and creating, creating these support cases – in some degree, they've already decided that they're going to be active on the on the platform. But if, even if you want to keep that model, right, you, you want then more people to to funnel into it. How do we get more people buying finding so much value in it that it's worthwhile to uh, buy a support plan? I get it. I get it. So. One other thing I wanted to mention, so I got excited thinking about debugging through data. I didn't know we were going to get here when we started, but I was glad Mm. I remembered that. But it reminded me, a thing we did even on Teams, there's something I liked a lot about what we did on Teams, and it was a a dirt simple solution and almost lazy, but it was great. We had a, in the beta, we had a form where, or a message, care how it worked. We had a way for any customer using our product, internal, external, to just give plain text feedback. Of course, we had we had data on error rates on the server side, but people could give us any sort of feedback we wanted. And, they, and, and we'd dump it into a database. And we'd never look at it directly, at least mm. never on purpose. But what we got is we just wrapped an Elasticsearch, Elasticsearch around that data. And then when somebody internally would say, Hey, I'm seeing something weird where the uh, the fonts are really small. I go, we go. I wonder if customers are seeing this small font. And we see, okay, here's five reports. What's going on there? And we get much more context and information on why that may happen. Or daily, usually someone would just type crash and see if 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 a lot of customers are reporting crashes. But it's a pretty it ended up being a pretty cheap way to kind of check on the pulse of what of customer feedback. Cause all there's right. no way to look at all of it, but I wanted, but we collected it all. So we'd have it for often you get something from like Satya's office. You want to know, is this a butts and chairs, figure this out or a, a, a one-off thing. We just need to go over and babysit someone through and having, being able to pull from 
a thousand entries a day on random feedback from customers gave us a way to see if those are things that are really happening. But you, you, you seem like you don't like this. No, no, no. I, I, I like it very much. Uh, but question, I think I missed it. Did you say that's in teams or in, in unity? No, we did that in teams. I okay, kind of want to No, not yet, but I okay. want to. All right. So do you have a patent paper? I'm going to give you some terms. I want you to go talk to your data science team and do your charismatic hand wavy fucking do the shit that Alan asked you to do thing. Okay. I'm listening. You need to get a feedback stream going just like you did in teams. That's number one. Like obviously your data science team's not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to talk to your dad. I, okay? I, I, I can populate that. Yeah. Okay. Then what you want mm-hmm. is against that stream you want your data science team to produce a daily TFIDF vector. Okay. And what a TFIDF is a is an NLP algorithm. And what Fake it basically fuck, it's damn fu- I don't know what it means. No, it's term <laughs> frequency, it stands for term frequency. That's cool. Uh, I got it. I got it. What else? Inverse do I document for okay. Then what you want to do is do anomaly detection against that vector. Okay. And once you have done that, what you will now have is a feed that tells you in near real time when certain terms are anomalous and starting to appear in your feedback stream. In other words, instead of what you did with Teams, where customers provided feedback and you looked at it, you know, when, when reactively, when someone decided to care, you're now going to have a feed that tells you, Hey, something weird is happening. And the customers know about it before we do. You turn it to near real time reaction instead of, Hmm, I wonder if anyone's ever talked about this. That is cool. So now what I wanted, so another (laughs) thing, no, I'm excited. And we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but other thing I want to do is, Again, Xbox Live used this. I'm sure a lot of teams did this. This is actually similar to this is um, just a sentiment analysis on all the different feedback streams where people can give feedback. What, what's, your, um, what's your view on sentiment analysis? Sentiment analysis. So if you have the right data set and if you have customers that are providing sentiment, um, it's it's handy. Uh, okay. But, but uh, what, but I'm, what, what I'm, I'm hearing what, in your voice is what I really want is the TI, TFIDF vector. Well, so that one's easy and it should work with your data set. The, the problem is you need like you need near office level degree of usage because uh, customers don't generally provide feedback. Right. Uh, it, the, the response rate is rather low, like two, three, five, seven percent. Yeah, so to I, do I, something I more like two, I think, is, is, is going going well. So to do something useful with data science on that one, you need a lot of users and right. I, I don't know if, if Unity is at that space in terms of where they have customer feedback stuff, but yeah, I and, certainly and, and you know, no product plans here. I'll do this for the parts of the product that I ship, which is um, documentation. But it's a place where I right. get feedback. And the other thing that is problematic with sentiment analysis is, do you remember back when you were at Microsoft when we did uh, the peer feedback? Where, where, you know, you you had to ask 
20 people to give you peer feedback. And then they would answer uh, these, these questions that scaled from one to five and, and yeah. then some random text. Yeah, that, that like MS360. Right. To what degree did you find that useful? To it, I, I found it, I found it useful to a degree. A, a, very, a very slight degree, right? And the problem, the reason why is um, anything that was sort of constructive feedback, uh, a lot of the times end up being overblown constructive, right? Because it's somebody that actually hates your guts. And, and now their interaction with you was personal. Um, but over overall, the majority of the time you you get, oh, sure, five, 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 Alan is perfect in every way, which doesn't help you grow, doesn't help you improve, right? right. So what, what I got from, from mine was, that, and we do need to close, I'm late for another meeting, is uh, I, I met with the HR person to go over it with me and they said, Alan, everyone you work with thinks you do great work. And they love what, how you get it done, but they kind of think you're an asshole. And this was very early in my Microsoft career. All my role models were assholes. And that's when I began, Oh, I can, you're right. But I was kind of almost told that was the way I had to do it. But it's that it was at that point I began to actually learn how to read people and build an emotional quotient and think about how I was coming across, which is the only reason I'm still employed. If I would have kept on being an asshole to get stuff done and left bodies in my wake and not been a, and burned bridges right and left in order to get done what I wanted to get done, I'd be in a different place in my career. Yeah, but when we both started at Microsoft, I mean, that's how you got shit done. Yep, exactly. Back in the day. All right, man. Yep. Uh, we better close it up here so I can get going. But this was fun. Uh, always good surprising you with agenda items at the last minute and see how you react. But again, you get an A+. plus. Data! Uh, and the, oh. the answer is always data. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I am Alan. And I am Brent. All right, man. See you later. Bye. Bye.